Are you struggling with kids fighting, yelling, and more despite listening to the podcast and reading all the books? Parenting can be so overwhelming and exhausting. You know, I see you and I have something that will help. Mindful Parenting SOS. I'm offering free live mindful parenting sessions starting Monday, May 6th. Basically, live mindful parenting lessons that you normally have to pay for. So if you struggle with getting your kids to listen, tantrums, misbehavior, and feeling the guilt of yelling at your kid, then you should definitely get your spot in Mindful Parenting SOS. I'll be there to answer your questions in person, and if you can't make it, we will have replays available. Don't wait to get your spot now. It's free. Go to mindfulmamamentor.com slash SOS to register. That's mindfulmamamentor.com slash SOS. I can't wait to see you there. The three C's are so important, you know, and have been part of every country's culture, every religion, and over thousands of years. And the three C's are basically connection, community, compassion. You're listening to the Mindful Mama podcast, episode number 355. Today, we're talking about how to help your kids' mental health with Dr. Hansa Bargava. Welcome to the Mindful Mama podcast. Here, it's about becoming a less irritable, more joyful parent. At Mindful Mama, we know that you cannot give what you do not have, and when you have calm and peace within, then you can give it to your children. I'm your host, Hunter Clark Fields. I help smart, thoughtful parents stay calm so they can have strong, connected relationships with their children. I've been practicing mindfulness for over 20 years. I'm the creator of Mindful Parenting, and I'm the author of the best-selling book, Raising Good Humans, a mindful guide to breaking the cycle of reactive parenting and raising kind, confidence. Hey, welcome back to the Mindful Mama podcast. So glad to have you connecting with me and this amazing guest again. Yes, high five for you for doing this, spending this time. I love it. I love it. Listen, if you haven't done so yet, hit that subscribe button so you don't miss an episode. And if you've ever gotten any value from this podcast, do me a favor, go over to Apple Podcasts, leave us a rating and review. It just helps the podcast grow more, takes 30 seconds of your time, and I greatly appreciate it from the bottom of my heart. In just a moment, I am going to be sitting down with Dr. Hansa Bargava, a board-certified pediatrician, certified CBCT resiliency teacher at Emory University, and chief medical officer at Medscape. She is the author of Building Happier Kids, which is being published by the American Academy Pediatrics. And we're going to talk about well-being and mental health. We have so many children and adolescents suffering from depression and anxiety. So we're going to talk about what are the factors that are leading to this. We're going to talk about parental burnout. And importantly, we will be talking about the three C's for mental wellness, connection, community, and compassion, and how we can build these more into our lives. So join me at the table as I talk to Dr. Hansa Bargarva. We're hearing like kind of frightening stuff in the news today about kids' mental health. And, uh, you know, you're a pediatrician, you teach resiliency at Emory University. What's going on with our kids? Is it just the pandemic or is this exacerbating like trends that have been happening for a while? We're seeing like lots of adolescents with depression and anxiety. What's happening? Can you, can you talk to us, identify that first? Absolutely. And it's such a good question, Hunter. And, and so many of us are facing this issue. I just want to say that for the parents out there, you are not alone. You are not alone. Uh, and I think it was actually, we'd love to just point a finger at the pandemic, but honestly, this trend, these trends of increased anxiety, depression, even suicidality were on their way up even before the pandemic. And the pandemic actually acted as a catalyst. So um, over the last two years, it's been really rough and that actually just catalyzed everything. And certainly social isolation does not help um, mental illness and in fact can actually exacerbate it. So I know, uh, of course, I'm not saying that the public health measures were not correct. I'm just saying that they did have these collateral effects. And now basically we are seeing those, but I am hopeful Hunter that we have this opportunity to reset because we are talking about it and parents are paying attention. That's something we did not do before the pandemic. So that I think is a silver lining of the dark cloud. 
Oh yeah. Yeah. That the pandemic is kind of like, I kind of see it as like, rather than us kind of being in a, like the proverbial frog in the pot with the slow boil, like we're kind of like tossed in a little bit. We are like tossed pretty quickly into a hotter pot of isolation and all the things that, you know, all these sort of challenges have brought to the forefront. And so we're actually paying attention to it. So yeah, that definitely is good, but there's a lot of kids suffering from anxiety and depression, right? Like a lot more than maybe, I don't know, 15 years ago or something, right? Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's, you know, and so we have that question of, well, why was there an upward trend before the pandemic? So even as the pandemic acted as a catalyst and that I think is because we have created a perfect storm for our kids and the perfect storm has been created by several, several variables. So, you know, if you look back, um, you know, over the last two decades, you will see that we are actually not only having an increase of screen time and, you know, I'll just point out that 2007 is when we all had our mobile devices uh, Mm -hmm. becoming smartphones. And therefore we could actually look at, you know, emails. And then there was the advent of social media. So there were more and more features on our smartphones so that you could actually access screens anytime, anywhere, and all the time. Right. And so that was an issue, but that is not the only issue, Hunter. The other issues are really overscheduling of our kids, uh, the culture of parenting being a real factor in terms of the keeping up with the Joneses, the lack of fundamentals like sleep, which is so essential, um, and even nutrition and family dinners. And of course, the lack of unscheduled time and the unscheduled time is really important for so many reasons. All right. Wow. Awesome. That's a lot of things. So I just want to kind of go over what Hansa said there, because it's so important. Increase of screen time, overscheduling, you know, that kind of culture of like keeping up with the Joneses that kind of feeds into the overscheduling, lack of fundamental like family dinner. Yeah. I remember like we used to talk more about family dinner. I mean, that's something that we really have in our house a lot, but I'm hearing from my kids that like, that's not that normal in their friend's house. But then you talk about sleep as, as well. And, and even nutrition, right? Like, so it is this, and we recently had Johan Hari on the podcast talking about his book, um, stolen focus. Right. And he talks about like a lot of these factors when it comes to kids too. And yeah, this is like, so this all adds up to why does it add up to, it's interesting. Like, why does it add up to anxiety and depression? I mean, I'm, I mean, I guess I sleep, I can definitely see like not being connected to your family, but then I guess when you're, you're, you have that instability of not having enough sleep and not being connected to your family. And then you're like, have the stress of schedule. And then you just try to, you're trying to like um, you know, maybe uh, self-soothe with the screen time. Like, I, I think that's what I see. I see at least in my two, my daughters are 12 and 15. I see a lot of, they try to soothe the screen time for sure. Yeah. And I think, uh, you know, our, our kids and I have two teenagers as well. Uh, you know, they have a, they're growing up with a different culture and, and yes, yeah. they do lean on their screens and their devices for self-soothing because that's just part of their culture. So I'm not advocating mm-hmm. that we should just take those things away. We can't, they're part of our culture, but what I am advocating is just paying attention to what they're doing on it. It's, it's less, I think about the quantity. It's more about the quality of interactions Mm -hmm. with their screens. And, you know, I think that it's very important to know about that and be intentional about that. But I'm just going to go back to something else you Mm -hmm. asked about Hunter. And that is why, why is this happening? Like what, how is it that these things can actually contribute to stress and anxiety? And as a physician, I'm going to go back to the biology of us. And that's including not just kids, but adults as well. And that is the fact that we have two systems in our body that kind of balance and buffer stress. One is the sympathetic system, which is often alluded to as a fight or flight response when it's overstimulated. And the other system that balances it and buffers our stress is the parasympathetic system. 
And if you go back across thousands of years and across different cultures, no matter what part of the world you're from or what religion you might be from, you'll see that the common threads of humanity are to buffer those systems. And that is what we've abandoned. So what would be those things that were in different cultures that did buffer the the stress, the fight, flight, or freeze stress response? Yeah. And so we are living like all those things we're talking about, like even lack of sleep, but especially screens where you're seeing, you're going scrolling through social media and you're like being activated in terms of, oh, FOMO or fear of missing out or, you know, wow, that looks beautiful. That's always like activating our sympathetic system. So we live up here, which is, you know, um, waving her hands in the air by her head, by the way. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So up here is where we're living, but we, and we don't want to live up there or we don't want to live down here. We actually want to live in the middle. Right. And, and so, um, what has gone away is things that activate the other system, parasympathetic system. And that is essentially connection hunter Mm -hmm connection or what I call the three C's. The three C's are so important of, you know, and have been part of every country's culture, every religion and over thousands of years. And the three C's are basically connection, community, compassion, right? And if you look at you know, everything across time and space, what you see is that whether it was the temple or the mosque, the church, whatever it was, there was a community for people, right? When we lived in villages and we even lived in bigger centers, there was always like a central forum where people gathered and you, you're, those people knew you and you knew those people. And maybe it was the ancient version of cheers, like the cheers bar where everyone knows your name. Right. Um, and, and so that's really, really important to calm us because we need to have community around us and feel like we're part of something bigger. The second, the second thing I talk about is connection. Connection is so, so important. And that is not only because it's really important to stimulate our parasympathetic system. When we call somebody, when we're feeling stressed and we talk to somebody and we see people who are our inner peeps, you know, our inner circle of peeps, um, that's important not only for that reason, but also for them to be there for them when they go through their life traumas. And lastly, for our kids, to learn how to do those connections is so important because that's what life is all about. So whether it's professionally and you need connections to get you to the next level, or maybe you need to know how to connect with your boss who you don't really like that much, or the colleague that, you know, is, you know, you don't know very well, or whether it's to, you know, um, propel yourself further in your career, professionally, connections are really important. Similarly, personally, even as adults, connections are really important. And that might be because you're stumbling or you're you're hitting a down in your life, or it might be because you're hitting an up in your life and you want to connect. So connections are really important. And I feel like that's really a tool that we aren't spending enough time on for our children. And, And lastly, the C was compassion. And compassion is really important for ourselves and for others. And I can explain why for both of those areas. Parenting can be loud, stressful, and rough some days. And we want to be able to go to bed and take care of ourselves in a really beautiful way. And that's why I love that Cozy Earth is a sponsor of the podcast. Cozy Earth offers bedding products that will transform your sleep. The bedding is temperature regulating, which is like a huge sleep benefit, has superior softness, incredible fabric, and incredibly high quality. All the products come with a 10-year warranty. Truly, incorporating Cozy Earth products into your self-care routine can enhance your sleep quality and your overall wellness. You deserve to treat yourself to the ultimate in comfort and indulgence after all the day's craziness of parenting with Cozy Earth bedding and sleepwear. And it's a way to prioritize your self-care and sleep health. You deserve it. And here's an exclusive Mother's Day offer just for our listeners. Use the code MINDFUL35 for 35% off. That's awesome. At CozyEarth.com. That's coupon code MINDFUL35 for 35% off at CozyEarth.com. 
I want to tell you about a great podcast that you should check out, especially if you ever deal with any school system, which you probably do. It's called Understood Explains. This season of the show is hosted by teacher and special education expert Juliana Ortube, and it's all about how to navigate individual education plans, also known as IEPs. And this season of Understood Explains covers topics like how to tell if your child needs an IEP and busts common myths about special education. So I checked out the episode on the difference between IEPs and 504 plans because my daughter Maggie uses a 504 plan and it was really, really helpful. It went over all the differences, which one's better, how to get them, different myths and what your rights are, all kinds of different things that you should understand if your child may need extra help in education through an IEP or a 504 plan. The tone is super helpful, friendly, and smart. I highly recommend you check it out. To listen to Understood Explains, just search for Understood Explains in your podcast app. That's it. Understood Explains. So let's talk about compassion for ourselves. I I talk about this a lot because I think that right now we are suffering from parent burnout as well, Hunter. And there's been a long list of reasons. And I do think that if we could go back and measure like when the kids' stress and anxiety and depression was going up prior to the pandemic, I bet you if we go back, we would see that the parent stress, anxiety, and depression was also kind of tracking along the same lines, right? And of course, just like the kids were catalyzed by the pandemic, so were the parents. Parents were forced to put their kids on online school, oversee online school, shift back and forth from online school to physical school, masks, vaccines. That was a lot more than their usual plate, right? And some of us are, some of us as parents had to leave our jobs to oversee our young kids and make sure that they were online school. So it was that very, it was a very mentally draining time. So that also catalyzed probably the parent burnout. And so I'm going to go back to the compassion. So what parents need to potentially possibly do to help their kids is actually to be compassionate to themselves. And that means not just like taking bubble baths, because that's what we think about when we say self-care. No, absolutely not. It's actually to put our, to, to actually carve out time for ourselves to whether it's making connections to your sister, your friend, your partner, whoever that might be, or it might be to just be nicer to ourselves and not have negative self-talk. So that is self-compassion, which is such an essential part of, you know, feeling calm and stable and resiliency. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. Um, yeah, we, we talk about self-compassion a lot here on the podcast. I I couldn't agree with you more. We talk about it in mindful parenting and I agree. I mean, these three things, connection, community, and compassion. I mean, it's interesting when I think about it because like, at least here in the U S right, like this is the most individualistic culture in the world. It's like weirdly individualistic because all the like super individualistic people from all the other lands came here. Right. And then, and then we're sort of held up as this model and example, yet it's that idea of like, you know, that you can just do it on your own and pull yourself up by your bootstraps and you don't need anyone is a really dangerous idea. It really goes against that idea of connection, really goes against that idea of community and even compassion, right? Because it's always the the way that individualism is presented in our culture is like, yeah, tough, right? Not, Not at all compassionate with ourselves. And so it's almost like these, this kind of individualist worldview run amok that's, that's hurting us so much because that is like, you know, when we think about the, the lack of community and the idea that so many parents hold, like, I should just be able to do it all on my own. I should just be fine by myself with a, a nursing baby and three other kids under the age of five for days and days and days, like that should just be normal because I'm, uh, you know, maybe because I'm a mom and I'm a woman and it's natural for women to, that's all like, we have these ideas in our heads that are, that are feeding into what you're saying, like that 
anxiety and depression because we're missing these incredibly important pieces. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think that's negative self-talk right there, right? Mm-hmm. Hunter, like, you know, I should be able to do it all. No, actually no human can really do it all without help and without their safety nets and without their people. No, absolutely not. And, and I think the reason I'm stressing this so much right now is because yes, we're in a crisis mode, but the truth is Hunter that, you know, life has its ups and downs and each and every one of us has to face adversity. And that's just life, right? I talk about that in my book. I talk about the story of the mustard seed where, you know, this couple in this village who um, are battling with infertility, um, they can't have babies. And, and, you know, part of the villagers are saying, why don't you have babies yet? Why don't you have babies yet? And they don't know what to do. And they go and see the, the medicine man and they try all these things and they can't, no one can help. And then these um, this group of monks come in, are coming from another village and they think, oh, wow, like maybe these people are known to like help people. So maybe these people can help. And so they go to the, when the, when the monks come, they go to the head, the head priest and, and say to them to say, say to him, um, you know, we have this issue with infertility and, and can you please help us? And he, he looks at them and he hears their story and he says, oh yeah, absolutely. I have a solution for you. And they're like, so happy. And he says, so we're going to do a ceremony tomorrow. I'm going to do mix up this potion. These are the ingredients that I need. And one of the ingredients is mustard seeds. And because this couple lives in Asia, um, mustard seeds is, are used very much in cooking. And so they say, okay, no problem. And he says, oh, but, but here's the thing. When you go and get those mustard seeds, wherever you get them from, you must make sure it's a house or a home or a store that has suffered no tragedies, no difficulties in their life. It must be from a pure household. And so they said, oh yeah, no problem. There's like 50, 100, 100 homes here and we know them all and we'll just go get them tomorrow. So thank you very much. And they leave. And so they start their task that day and they go to the first house and, and the neighbor says, oh yeah, absolutely. Let me just go back and get you some mustard seeds. And they said, oh no, but but we have to ask you a question. Like, have you ever like had problems with health or, you know, somebody lost a job or, you know, something happened in your household? And, and he says, well, unfortunately, my son was just diagnosed with a really terrible disease and we're trying to cope with it. So they go to the next house, next house. They basically ask the same question and, and the person says, oh, my goodness. Yes, actually, I just lost my brother. He was run over by a train and this happened and that happened. And they said, oh, no. And they keep going to houses and after about 25 houses they're just really upset and stressed because they have not found one single house and then they go to another 25 and they cannot so they go to the the priest the next day and they said here are the mustard seeds and he asks is it from a home that has suffered no harm or disease or sickness or issues and they said they look down at their feet and they say no unfortunately we went to every house in the village and no one no one had any, any life where there was no problems. And he looks at them and he says, and that's the whole thing. Everyone has their issues, every single person. And that's what we forget, Hunter. We forget about that, right? And that's perspective, right? To know that. And we also need our community and our inner people to help us when those times are rough. As parents, we know that there are so many things in life that we have to compromise on. But when it comes to your health, there is no compromise. So don't go back to that doctor that doesn't really listen to you. Instead, check out ZocDoc. This is a place where you can find and book doctors who will make you feel comfortable, listen to you, and prioritize your health. And you can search by location, availability, and insurance. So literally, there's no compromises here because with ZocDoc, you've got more options than you actually know about. ZocDoc is a free app and website where you can search and compare highly rated in-network doctors near you and instantly book appointments with them online. The typical wait time to see a doctor booked on ZocDoc is between just 24 and 72 hours. That's it. You can even score same-day appointments. Go to ZocDoc.com slash mindful and download the ZocDoc app for free. Then find and book a top-rated doctor today. That's ZocDoc, Z-O-C-D. 
zocdoc.com slash mindful. zocdoc.com slash mindful. Well, hey there, busy mama. Are you looking for ways to make your life easier, your home less chaotic, and at the same time, add more joy to your life? My name is Deanna Yates, and I'm the host of Wanna Be Clutter Free, a podcast all about letting go of the stuff we don't need in our lives so that we can focus on what truly matters. Don't worry, I'm not going to tell you to throw it all away or make you feel guilty about keeping something you love, no matter how many other people don't quite understand it. But I will give you practical and more importantly, actionable advice so that you can make progress right away. And you won't just hear it from me. There are amazing guests too. It's like having your bestie in your pocket, telling you it's okay to let go of the things that are not serving you and your family in a totally non-judgmental way. So join me over on the podcast where we can work on progress over perfection for those of us that want to be clutter-free. I think this is really poignant because you're pointing to this idea that we have that is implanted in our from in us from our culture that we should just always be happy, that we're not going to, like, as long as we do things right, that we shouldn't have any issues. And then we look in social media and different places and we don't see any issues, right? We see that ever, nobody has any issues and there's something wrong with me. And so we're having this idea that something is wrong with me and that increases that isolation, increases that depression, increases that anxiety. Now, I just want to pause here to remind the listener we're talking about increasing resilience in our kids, right? Because we want, and we're talking about ourselves because as we lower our stress response, as we increase our parasympathetic nervous system response, increase our ease, increase our groundedness, increase our joy, increase our, our ability to have perspective in life. We are then able to give that some of that to our kids, but also I'm thinking, I'm wondering, like, in some ways, like their lives have all these challenges, right? Like there's too much screen time, too much over scheduling, too much, like, like less sleep and things like that. But in some ways also, can it also be, is part of the problem that their lives are too comfortable in some ways, like they're not having enough exposure to different stressors. So for instance, a mindful mama mentor team member, um, her daughter has nine and has been dealing with anxiety, just lots of like her tummy hurt, her tummy hurt. She thought she had digestive issues because her tummy's been hurting and she didn't want to go to school in the morning, didn't want to go. And so one on a Friday, so she said, oh, maybe she's sick. I better keep her home. Kids fine. You know, when she's home, she's obviously not got a tummy issue at home, but then Monday comes around. She's her tummy hurts again. She doesn't want to go to school. So her mother says, sorry, babe, you got to go to school this time. And so she's seeing, oh, maybe this is anxiety and, and realizing that part, part of the answer to that is like, yes, being compassionate to our children, acknowledging their challenge, but also holding that boundary of and yes, you can do the hard thing. So I'm wondering, I guess, in sharing this, that, you know, is part of this, like they don't have enough, like life is t- with all the screens and stuff, like everything's like too comfortable for them. Is this part of the problem too? Yeah, I think, I think you hit something really interesting. And, and, and I think that um, it's both. So I think that, yes, in some ways it is too comfortable. And what does that mean? That means that we don't necessarily allow our kids to fall. We don't allow them. We just want them to just, if they fall, we're like, oh, here we are. Like, here, here you go. And we plug them into all these things and schedule them into all these things, but we don't allow them the space to fall. So those, um, those lazy summers are gone. The, you know, um, see you at sunset, go play outside mm. is gone. All of that's gone because we're always around them. So they don't have the capacity necessarily to actually be able to make decisions themselves because we're not allowing them. So yes, it might be too easy by some parents' standards, but also I would argue that maybe it's hard in a different way because we've not allowed them to actually 
um, grow their own critical thinking skills and grow their own decision-making skills. And that's going to be a problem when they actually leave the nest. So um, I think that's really important. The other the other thing that I think that's really important, Hunter, that I just want to point out is that, and and I don't know if the moms or the parents or the caregivers actually go and exercise at the gym and if we have some athletes in our audience, but I'm just going to point to athletics for one minute. And that is because, you know, people who are athletes and people who are coaches in athletics certainly know this to be true. And that is you can push the body really, really hard but you better let it rest as well. Mm. So there's that dichotomy. And I really, I, I actually really like high intensity interval training and I do spin a lot myself. And this is a little bit funny, Hunter, and maybe you might relate to this, but I have a favorite instructor on Peloton who I was just, you know, listening to a lot during the pandemic because it couldn't go anywhere to do, you know, um, to do my stationary bike. And she was, you know, she was doing the American thing that we all do, which is go, 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 keep going. You can be better and stronger and everything else. But the thing is that after the workout, she was like, go listen to our stretch app and go listen to our, and make sure you rest tomorrow. So we know Mm. in athletics that the body needs to rest. Why do we think that cognitively and emotionally, we don't need to rest? That's the question right there. And if that's true, I would say that we might think we're coddling our kids, but we're not allowing them to rest. And I think the rest needs to be scheduled. You know, family dinner may be like, quote unquote, a rest, but actually there needs to be space that is created, just like in that Maria Kondo tidy up. She actually creates space so that more nice things can be enter your home or your closet. We have to create that space. I mean, we, we must create the space both for emotional resilience, but also for them to learn the tools of life. This, I love that analogy of athletics because you're right. That's true. It's like, there's the push day and then there's the rest day. And we tend to be in that push mode and you really, I really want to go there and talk about like kind of simplifying and, and creating that space. But I also want to point, kind of go back to what you were saying about this idea of um, kids having chances to fall and having moments. And I would love this, if you want to dive deeper into that, dear listener, Lenore Skenazy has been a guest on our podcast twice. The most recent episode is episode number 283, promoting kids independence. This is so important. When I was a kid, I went all over my town, all over, all the time. And part of the problem is the other kids aren't around either, right? And, and, you know, it's fascinating. There's, there's, I, I don't know if you've seen this, but there's like a TV show on Netflix right now called Old Enough. Have you heard about this? No. Wow. No. It's like a Japanese. It's a Japanese TV show. Really? That was. It's like their episodes are like 15 minutes long, and they follow tiny children going on like their first errands. And the very first episode has a child who's two years old and nine months going with a little flag, and a little bag to the grocery store to get something for his mom. It's oh, amazing, wow. it's just amazing. The difference in that the culture, right? Of like, yeah. and part of it is having these conversations. So I always want to like parents, let's do this. Let's get together with other parents and kick our kids outside till sunset. Yes, yes. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. And I do want to say, like, I've look, I'm a mom too, and I have two kids. And I I talk about this in my book. Look, I I my my daughter said to me, This is really funny, Hunter. But she said, she said one day she, um when she was 14, she she was really mad at me because she had made friends with all these kids who whose parents were what she called tiger moms. And 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 we were driving back from one of her get-togethers and she was just in a bad mood. And I said, why are you in such a bad mood? And she says, because I don't know why you can't be more of a tiger mom. And (laughs) and then she says, you used to be a tiger mom. What happened to you? (laughs) That's hilarious. And, and anyways, um, just going back to like, I, I just think that it's really important not to be a tiger mom. The reason is that they have to become 
purposeful themselves and to find those things themselves. So when your kid falls, when, and for me right now, the falls are more academic because they're, you know, they're, they're teenagers and they're in high school. So they'll come home and they'll say, oh, I got a C on this or whatever. I, I've really changed the way that I deal with that. It's, you know, I'm like, okay, that's fine. So what? So you got to see, big deal. So what did you learn from that? Because every time you fall, that is an opportunity for you to learn. Every time something bad happens, it's an opportunity for us to grow in our lives, right? It really is. Okay. So, you know, if you can, if we can change our perspective to that for ourselves and for our kids, the whole world opens up because gosh, every time, and that's true of athletics too. I'm just going to go back to athletics. There's a great book written about tennis. And in that book, it says, you know, don't be mad at the opponent that beats you on the tennis court. Be grateful. That is your teacher. Mm. That's the person who's allowing you to grow. So, you know, every time you fall, it's an opportunity to learn how to get up. Definitely. Definitely. I agree. Um, so in this perfect storm, we've got overscheduling. Yeah. Let's talk about this because this is pervasive. It's really like a big thing and continues to be a big thing. When my, or, you know, I remember when my 12 year old was little, I'd take her to swim class and like the parent next to me in swim class is like, hurry up, hurry up. We got to get to clean up and go to tumbling class. We got to go to this and that. We Kids are in like back-to-back -back activities when they're little. And there, there's a sense also with sports of feeling like I have to start my kids young in sports. Whereas from what I understand, right, like, you know, kids need a little kids, especially need a lot of free, uns, unstructured play. And then when you get into adolescents and teenagers, then they need some structure because their brains yeah. are all bananas then. <laughs> tell me, <Yep. laughs> tell me about what's going on here. Am I right? Yeah, you're absolutely right. No, I think I think we overschedule our kids when they're young. We absolutely do. And I, I really think part of it is that culture, as you alluded to, Hunter, like keeping up with the Joneses. You hear about the mom down the street who's doing this and this. And, you know, it's even like you see it in the social media forums when the kids are like a year old or two years old or three years old. And I would have like parents coming in saying, well, my child's not talking or my child only has this many words and the child down the street has that many. And it's that like, uh, you know, like fear and competitiveness. And, and the truth is like every child is on their own trajectory and it's okay. You know, what we want to do as parents is to somewhat follow the child's passions, right? Mm -hmm. To give them a purpose that they want to, they want to do something and they want, they want to be better at it and let them kind of lead. And that is hard to do. So there's parents probably who are like, okay, well, my kid wants to do this at eight years old. It's true. You have to try several things before you find out what your, your, your child might want to do mm -hmm. or why might he or she might want uh, be good at, right? So yes, you will have trial and error, but be mindful about it and be intentional about it. And at some point, you know, figure out where the energy and time and resources should go and what should fall off that calendar. Uh, so not only prioritize, but then also remember to put in blocks where there isn't anything. So what I suggest is, you know, looking at your schedule and just like you block in, you know, that activity, block in the free time. And during that free time, it could be, don't, I, I do this myself, actually, Hunter, like, I'm just like, I, I, it's so hard in our culture not to want to schedule everything that I literally have a voice in my head saying, create the space, create the space, create the space. Mm. <laughs> no, don't say no, say no, say no, say no. Don't say yes. Don't say, no, you know, and, and we do say yes to a lot of things we just do. And it's almost intentional where you have to say no and create the space. Yeah. And with our kids, right? Like, you know, with my kids for a while, when they were younger, it was like, okay, pick one thing, right? Yes. One thing per season. And if that thing interfered, especially when they were younger with our family dinners, like we would think long and hard about that because that was important to us in that space. I love this idea of create the space. I mean, I think we're afraid of letting our kids be bored, but this is when 
they there's so much creativity that blossoms. This is when we have an opportunity. If we are not, I mean, I invite you to imagine this, dear listener. If you're not, if you have a day where you have a whole day open, some of us are like, oh crap, what will I do? Oh my God, it's so scary. But imagine if you just have a whole day open, then you have time to take your child who's curious about what you're doing and really take the time to involve them in making breakfast or really involve them in making lunch. You can involve them in folding laundry. Like you can involve them in cleaning the house if you want. Like then maybe they have time where they do a bunch of free play by themselves. You you don't have to be, I invite you to reconsider the idea that a whole day is scary with your kids because that actually gives you the space to bring them into your adult world and let them give them the message that that like when we have our adult world and we say oh you're you know you go watch this tv show while i make dinner right we do that again and again and again we're giving our kids a message that this is not for you cooking cleaning those things are not for you you have a special vip status of being entertained in the household right and and it's safe for them to be bored it's safe it's good for them to be bored it's totally the precursor of creativity and helpfulness i think absolutely hunter i can't um emphasize uh, more what you just said and that is to bring them into your life like have them help you make dinner, have them set the table, you know, and they may push back because remember it takes three weeks to change a habit, right? It takes 21 days. So you will meet resistance. Okay. So if you decide to go this way and prioritize and create this, create the space, you will meet resistance. So don't worry about it. Yeah. It'll be not, it's not going to be easy initially, but 21 days later, it will be easier and they will understand, you know, a different type of life. Um, the other thing I'll point out, which you just said, is like the VIP status is a bad thing. <laughs> it's just a bad thing in general, right? Because yeah. do you, do we want to raise many adults who think they're VIPs? Is is that what we want? Um, you know, and maybe we do want that, but let me just say, go deeper into that. When somebody thinks they're a VIP, generally that affects every facet of their life you know, and most of us are not going to be VIPs. And even if we are, it'll be for a very small period of time. So across your life, you really want to have humility and the ability to relate to other people and to help when help is needed. And if that's not part of your life toolkit, then you're going to have a lot of problems getting along with other people. And that's personally and professionally in all spheres of life. So we don't want to create VIP. So let's pull them in and have them do what they used to do, which is, yeah, like I used to do chores all the time when I was growing up. I wasn't allowed to sit and watch TV. Heck no. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting how things have shifted so much. And I, I also like what you said about when we're thinking about like we're, we're really basically inviting you dear listener to like, take a step back and look at the big picture of your life with your child. Right. And what are your values? Can you interject this? So if you want kids who are going to be resilient, if you want kids who are resilient from the anxiety and the depression that is rampant, you know, to take that, to, to simplify your life, to, to, to have that open space, to create the space. But you also mentioned, following the child as far as their activities. I think that's such a, I love that. And follow the child was a thing that was a statement of Maria Montessori, right? And she, mm-hmm. that incredible. And I just found out read last night that Maria Montessori was, my kids are really involved in scouts, BSA. They're oh, wow. in a girl's boy scout troop. And I found out the person who founded Scouts worked with Maria Montessori and Maria Montessori was heavily influenced Scouts with the idea of kids being the leaders, kids taking the lead, kids doing all those things that they do that is so empowering and that is so, so interesting. So, I, I mean, it's like, this is a, a shift, a shift towards, uh, you know, towards, towards openness, and, and curiosity, you know, like a balance of needs, you know, a balance of the parents' needs and a balance of the kids' needs and not, I think our culture is too heavily on the kids' 
A hundred percent. I mean, a hundred percent. But the thing is like, if we step back, like you're advocating Hunter, and I would encourage parents and caregivers to step back and say, what do we want for our children? Do we want to give them a toolbox? Do we want them to be rich? Do we want them to be successful? Do we want them to be happy? Because happy is a different thing, right? And and the ability to be happy is like what is really my definition of success, right? Like, and I think most parents do want their kids to be happy, right? So then how do we build that happy? And that is really to give them a toolbox, right? It's not just to hand them, well, this is, you know, this is your brand new bed and this is your brand new this, whatever. It's actually to give them a toolbox to build that happy themselves that they can actually carry into life. And I think, I think it's really important to kind of look at it that way for two reasons. One is we want our kids to be happy, but two is we want our kids to be healthy and mental health manifests itself in physical health. Hmm. Absolutely. A hundred percent. So we have not been talking about that enough out there, actually, Hunter, I will say that. So the two things I feel like we're not talking about enough, which I would you know invite your thoughts is Number one, prevention of mental health illness. Mm -hmm. Just like you prevent diabetes and prevent cardiac disease and prevent this and that, we should be talking about prevention of mental illness illness as well, right? Like why do we even want our kids to get there if we can reduce the chances of them getting there, right? So that's one thing. The second thing we're not talking about enough is once you get mental illness, it absolutely impacts your physical health. Absolutely. A hundred percent. And so we want our kids to be healthy and happy. If those are our North stars, then we need to shift our thinking. It's time for a reset. Yeah. Okay. I love this. So prevention of mental health, which is problems, which is amazing. And that how that affects our physical health. What are some of the ways that like anxiety and depression affect kids physical health. Yeah, I had a great conversation with a researcher over at Emory University um, who runs holistic health and she was looking at cortisol levels in people's hair. Hmm. And yes, so she was looking at cortisol levels in people's hair and what she found was the greater the cortisol level in the hair, the more likely there was plaques in the arteries that feed the heart, which means the more likely there would be heart attacks or heart disease. So absolutely, right? And what she also found, which was really interesting, was that the people who are most resilient were least likely to have that cortisol actually affect the heart. So people who have resilience and those buffers we talk about, like activating your parasympathetic system, the three C's that I talk about, uh, you know, creating the space to breathe. And I'll talk about the, the other tools to activate the parasympathetic system, which goes back to biology. Those are the people who are actually not only going to be better emotionally and mentally, but they will probably have less risk of cancer, less risk of rheumatoid arthritis, less risk of heart disease, less risk of diabetes. Why wouldn't we want that for ourselves and our children? Why? Yeah. Yeah. And a lot of these things we have to do preventatively, you know, it's like, I mean, maybe you can take some drugs down the line once it's already there, but you, you, we need to do this stuff preventatively. Okay. This is awesome. Um, Hansa, what are the tools that we can, what are the tools, the mental health toolbox for engaging that parasympathetic nervous system? Yeah. And absolutely. We need to build that into every day if possible. Right. So Mm -hmm. some of those tools to engage is actually deep breathing. So in Mm -hmm. fact, deep breathing physiologically helps us calm down. So teaching your kids as a tool, that as a tool and yourself, just walk away, take really deep breaths for like five deep breaths. That's what I tell my kids and then go away. And then you can deal with the issue that's bothering you right now. Right? So that activates the parasympathetic system. Sleep activates the parasympathetic system. Mm. Hugs can really help. Like the closeness actually releases oxytocin, which is a good like a happy hormone, right? So like, and I think it's 20 seconds, maybe 15 seconds of a hug. Connection like a hug. and compassion Connection. right there. Um, Connection, absolutely. You're with your community and your friends. That activates your parasympathetic system. So, uh, and, and nature. Well, let me share this, well. um, yeah, this yeah. piece though with you when you talk about hugs. Uh, I love this is like one of my favorite things to share. The Zen master Thich Nhat Hanh, that community they, he talked about hugging meditation and he, one of the tools is like a three breath hug. 
And so you hug and you just take three deep breaths. So you combine a couple of those tools. I love that. Okay. So deep breathing, sleep hugs. What else did you say? I think I talked over you a little. No, no, no worries. Um, um, nature. Nature. Yes. Connection. Like having your inner people around. I love Thich Nhat Hanh, by the way. I, I just, I love his teachings. And I'll just say a lot of what I talk about in the book, Hunter, is from his teachings um, and from the course that I took at Emory University and I teach. It's called Cognitive-Based Compassion Training. Um, and it's really a resiliency course. So um, we talk a lot about that and we go back to the biology and that. So if anyone's ever interested, it's at Emory University and online. Um, so yeah, but anyways, yeah. So those are some of the parasympathetic um, activators, uh, you know, whatever you want to call them. And I would also say like, I think one thing Hunter that we talk about and we're like, okay, now the parents, you know, who might be listening to this podcast are like, oh, great. Now I have another list of things to do. Please don't feel that is what the case is. We are not trying to add more things to your list actually. And, and, you know, if there's a day where you can't do something that is totally okay. So I go back to self-compassion, like forgive yourself, forgive yourself. Right. And, and I talk about a story in my book and it's basically my sister who was trying to do five million things and got into the car and told her seven-year-old son to get into the car because they were late for a guitar lesson. And she was talking to someone because there's a leak in the house. And she was like, oh my God, you know, all this stuff, probably we can all relate to this kind of story. And then she basically, um, uh, so she's backing out of her driveway and all of a sudden she heard a crunch and she was like, what's that? <laughs> so she got out of the car and she looked and there was a guitar crunched into a thousand pieces. Oh. Uh, I know, right? But the story is not necessarily about that. The story is about what she did to herself three for three days afterwards. Um, she beat herself up about it. Right. She was like, oh, my God, how stupid am I and how horrible and this and that. But when she called me, what I said to her was like, well, of course that happened. You're managing all these things and, you know, it's fine. Like, you know, yes. OK, it's, an ex you know, it's a guitar. And you're going to buy another one. But gosh, these things happen. So that's what I'm saying to her. But what she's saying to herself is not what a friend or a sister would say to her. She's doing self-bullying. And we've got to let that go. So going back to the parents and caregivers who might be listening totally okay if you don't activate the parasympathetic system it's okay or you don't have the family dinner it's okay it'll be all be fine but please like forgive yourself and move on yes yeah yeah we cannot give what we do not have and if we can't have that compassion for ourselves we you know we're gonna be not be able to give it to our kids even but but yeah what's a I know we're so hard on ourselves. It's, it's really, it's really a, another symptom of our, our culture. Um, and they feel our stress hunter. Yeah, they do. They really do. They're like our little sponges. Yeah, indeed. Absolutely. Um, I love this. Finally, final question. If your a parent suspects their child is experiencing depression or anxiety, Obviously, we want to maybe engage some of the, you know, nature hugs, connection, sleep, all of those things. We kind of look at the stress levels, all the things we talked about. But what would you say to that parent? What might their first steps take? To, what yeah. might their first steps be to, to help their child there? Great question. And Hunter, look, there's like a whole gradient in, in medicine that we talk about for every disease and illness, and that is prevention. Mm -hmm. then mild disease, moderate disease, severe disease, right? Mm -hmm. And so you have to be able to identify where your child might be there. But here's the thing, if they are worried, they should trust their gut and they should seek help. And I think pediatricians are good places to start because unfortunately in this country, we also are having access issues to mental health professionals right now. It is a real thing. So I would say start with your pediatrician. The pediatrician can help guide you um, in terms of you know, what may be going on. But also prevention is really important. So we talked about a lot about prevention. The one thing that I also would advocate for prevention is also talking to your kids about mental illness so that they know that, you know, if things, if they're sad for a long period of time or they're anxious for a long period of time or, you know, whatever's happening, that could be something that's, you know, they need help for. And, and, you know, I think for us as parents, one of the many North stars, and I've called, talked about a lot of stars, but one, I would say this is the biggest North star 
of all across physical and mental health disease, and that's communication. You have to keep the communication lines open with your kids because they will fall as all our kids do. And when they do, you want them to come to you. So mm -hmm. keep those. That is like the biggest priority of all. Definitely. I love that so much. Hansa, this has been such a pleasure talking to you. I'm, there's so much valuable information here. I, I, I can't wait for to hear the feedback from the listener. I really appreciate your time and your expertise and bringing this to us and uh, sharing your time on the Mindful Mama podcast. Where can people find, uh, the book is Building Happier Kids. Where can people find out more about you? Yeah, absolutely. And the book is listed on Amazon um, and in all stores. Um, you can find more information about me on my website, hansavargavamd.com. I also am chief medical officer at Medscape and, um, and a contributor to WebMD. And then also you can find me on social media at Hansa Bargava MD for Twitter at Dr. Hansa MD on Instagram. And then I am on LinkedIn as well. So feel free to reach out to me. And um, honestly, Hunter, thank you so much. It's such an honor to speak to you and to your audience. And I really truly hope that I can help families get better. Hey, hope you loved this episode as much as I did. I felt like this was a good one. I loved hanging with Dr. Bargava. We really related over so many things. Listen, if you enjoyed this podcast, please do me a favor. Leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. It makes such a big difference. We have over 2 million downloads now, and it's all due to organic people sharing it just like you. So you're you're the driving force. Please do me a favor. I will thank you from the bottom of my heart in advance. And listen, if you share this episode on your Instagram stories, tag me in it at Mindful Mama Mentor. I'd love to see what your takeaways are. And I hope you have a beautiful week. I hope this has watered your good seeds in you. It will help you be more, more present and, and available for yourself and your kids. And I hope that you have peace and ease and all that good stuff in your week, my friend. Thank you so much for listening. I cannot wait to connect with you again next week. Namaste. I say definitely do it. It's really helpful. It will change your relationship with your kids for the better. It will help you communicate better. And just, I'd say communicate better as a person, as a wife, as a spouse. It's been really a positive influence in our lives. So definitely do it. I'd say definitely do it. It's so worth it. The money really is inconsequential when you get so much benefit from being a better parent to your children and feeling like you're connecting more with them and not feeling like you're yelling all the time or you're like, why isn't things working? I would say definitely do it. It's so, so worth it. It'll change you. No matter what age someone's child is, it's a great opportunity for personal growth and it's a great investment in someone's family. I'm very thankful I have this. You can continue in your old habits that aren't working or you can learn some new tools and gain some perspective to shift everything in your parenting. Are you frustrated by parenting? Do you listen to the experts and try all the tips and strategies, but you're just not seeing the results that you want? Or are you lost as to where to start? Does it all seem so overwhelming with too much to learn? Are you yearning for a community of people who get it, who also don't want to threaten and punish to create cooperation? Hi, I'm Hunter Clark Fields, and if you answered yes to any of these questions, I want you to seriously consider the Mindful Parenting membership. You will be joining hundreds of members who have discovered the path of mindful parenting and now have confidence and clarity in their parenting. This isn't just another parenting class. This is an opportunity to really discover your unique, lasting relationship, not only with your children, but with yourself. It will translate into lasting, connected relationships, not only with your children, but your partner too. Let me change your life. Go to mindfulparentingcourse.com to add your name to the waitlist, so you will be the first to be notified when I open the membership for enrollment. I look forward to seeing you on the inside. mindfulparentingcourse.com
Hey there, I'm Debbie Reber, the founder of Tilt Parenting and the author of the book, Differently Wired. The mission of Tilt is to change the way neurodivergence, whether that's having a learning disability, having ADHD, being gifted, autistic, or some combination of all of the above, is perceived and experienced so differently wired kids and the parents like us raising them can truly thrive. On the Tilt Parenting Podcast, I get to talk with authors, therapists, educators, and parenting experts who are committed to this mission. I ask the questions my listeners are most curious about when it comes to supporting our kids. And in turn, my guests share strategies for challenges, out-of-the-box ideas for navigating school, best practices for therapies, tips for advocating, and so many thoughtful insights on what it really takes to help our kids grow up feeling seen and respected so they can create awesome lives for themselves. I know that raising a differently wired kid can feel overwhelming and isolating, but I promise you, you are not alone and it can feel so much better. If you're on this parenting journey, come listen to Tilt Parenting. Together, we can shift this paradigm and show up for our exceptional kids with hope, possibility, and joy. 